0: Welcome to Forever Seeking, the Notre Dame Prep Alumni Speaker Series presented by the Forever Saints Alumni Association. I'm Jenny Douglas, the Assistant Director of Annual Giving and Constituent Relations at NDP. As Saints, we are Forever Seeking. This series features NDP community members who share how their involvement with NDP has impacted their lives and their ongoing search for wisdom, truth, knowledge, justice, and understanding. Today we are joined by NDP alumnus, Dan Fisher, who will be hosting our beloved Mama Locke, or Mary Lou Lockvader, who is going on her 16th year here at NDP. Today's podcast is sponsored by Jessica and Dan Fisher. Dan Fisher graduated from Notre Dame Prep in 2010 and went on to play football during his four years at Ithaca College in central New York. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in marketing and then went on to begin his working career in Boston for a tech startup. Dan has been in the tech industry since then and he now works as an enterprise account executive for Snowflake, a cloud data platform company that recently went public in the largest software IPO in history. Dan focuses on sales for large enterprises in the Southwest territory. In addition to working at Snowflake, Dan is a part of the Scottsdale Active 2030 organization that raises money for local Phoenix youth charities. He is the technology chairman for the club. Scottsdale Active 2030 has been fortunate enough to grant millions of dollars to local Phoenix youth charities since its inception in 1987.
1: Jenny, thank you for that great introduction. And I'm Dan Fisher, class of 2010. I couldn't be more happy to be honored and asked to come on to this Forever Seeking podcast. And today I'm really excited to sit with one of my favorites of all time, Mrs. Lockvader or Mary Lou Lockvader. Um, Now, obviously, we know each other, but... I don't think a lot of people do outside of the walls of Notre Dame if you haven't been a student or you're a more recent student. So before we get started talking about, you know, your new role, you know, give a little bit of background of who you are and your life prior to Notre Dame.
2: Sure. Well, hello. I'm Mary Lou Lockvader, as Dan said. I'm an Arizona native and proud of that. Um, I was raised by very faith-filled parents who were both in schoolwork. My dad was a school administrator, mom was a teacher and a librarian. Um, so my whole life was about schools. We lived in small towns all over Arizona. Um, went to NAU, um, got a degree in, in um, special education and elementary ed, wow. and um, a and minor in religious studies, because that's all they had at NAU then. <laughs> so um, met my husband Gary there, um, came to Phoenix then after graduation, and we got married, and I worked um, with Uh, severely emotionally disturbed kids in the Washington School District for four years. Um, And after doing that, I found that not combining my faith life with my vocation was really hard for me. Um, Kids who are struggling as those kids were and not being able to give them where my hope came from was really difficult for me. So kind of a career crisis trying to figure out what to do. and our parish called and said we need a youth minister ah. so i went to work for the church then in 86 so this is my 36th and which church year st james Saint Parish. st james nice and so i was there for 21 years and it evolved eventually till i was the director and youth minister and director of adult and kids ministry um when our kids we have three kids um oh. And a bonus son, and now a daughter-in-law and a granddaughter. Um, but as our kids got older, um, it was harder to be at church that much. When they were little, they were just little church mice and had fun being at church. Um, and as they got older, that got harder. Um, so then I started thinking about coming back to teaching. Um, my friend Barb Stanley was here and had been uh. talking to me about coming here um,
1: I was always I was always curious how that connection because I knew about everything a little bit before and like what really kind of brought you to Notre Dame so that's interesting that
2: yeah Barb had uh, been talking been here. Hmm. and it's kind of a cool story too because um, I was going to apply the year before our youngest Katie went to high school and um, I had actually done all the applications I had an interview scheduled with Dave Gonzalez who was the principal then yeah. and our pastor at the parish called me in and said. I'm going to be leaving the parish. I know you're thinking about leaving. Could you stay one year for the transition? Um, so, out of loyalty to the parish, I did, called Barb, and she said, You know, Mary Lou, we don't get a lot of openings. I don't know yeah. what's going to happen if you don't take this one. And I said, Well, Barb, if the Lord wants me at Notre Dame, <laughs> there'll be an opening next so year. They'll have to wait then. It yeah. Like, yeah. Know. So, um, sure enough, the year went by. I did the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, called Barb, and she said, "Well, Mary Lou, the Lord wants you here because we have an opening." Of course, she did. So, so I interviewed and was hired here at Notre Dame. So, and that was in two thousand six.
1: Yeah, that was Same. my freshman year. It was your first year, the inauguration of the dream team. you yeah. probably say, but <laughs> no. So it has been, and it's honestly a little bit humbling to think it's been sixteen years since I was a freshman. Um, but. When you first started, you were a teacher uh, to sophomores. Am I re- remembering that correctly? Yes. OK, so it, it's, we've kept in contact, obviously, through my college career and now my young professional career. But it's like, walk us through the, the evolution of Mary Lou at Notre Dame and kind of all because you've worn numerous hats, even in the four years I was here. So like, if you wouldn't mind, like give a little background on that. Sure, sure.
2: Um, I started, again, as you said, teaching sophomores and did that for several years. Um, from the time I came here, I was real involved as a kid in, in high school and in school too. So and college, um, so I got involved with the student government like right away. I was a moderator and club moderator. And but I for teaching, I taught sophomores for several years and then moved to juniors and sophomores and then moved to juniors and seniors. So I've taught three of the four grades of theology. So um, stayed very involved in student government and the religious life of the school and, and things like that as far as clubs go. Um, knit and Crochet Club, that we had so much fun.
1: With. You started that when I was a senior, I think, or maybe a junior. But. Junior, I
2: think, yeah. Um, and then um, when Jim Gamelick came, he asked me to um, be the director of student formation, and I said I would if I um, could still teach a little. So at that point I had, I think, two classes. Um, and then that job got bigger and bigger. And, um, and then um, four years ago, uh, Jill came and wanted to start the house program. So we transitioned. So I was the founding director of the house program. So um,
1: I don't even think I've known that you've made all these transitions, yeah. so kudos yeah. to you because you've grown as the school's grown. So, sorry, walk no. through the house program for people who aren't yeah. aware of it. Yeah, so
2: the house program, we were looking, we had some cultural issues on campus that we really wanted to work on. Um, one of them was the negative competitiveness between the classes that you no, never. know well. Never. Um, and, and we really needed to work on that. We also, in spite of being not a huge school, we had kids who left because they never found their people.
1: Interesting.
2: Um, And that always bothered me and others um, in the leadership. Um, And so those two things primarily to get a more healthy sense of competition on our campus as well as making sure everybody felt like they had a place. we were looking for something for that. And um, Mrs. Platt, Jill, and Father Kurt were at a conference that had a house system. So, um, so they called me from the conference and said, we think we have the solution. So we did a ton of research and about five months of prep and then started transitioning to a house program. Um, How did the
1: kids receive that? Mixed. Mixed, obviously. Mixed,
2: because we blew up things that they really liked, like student government. Um, And so we had to convince them that it was going to be better. Um,
1: So, and this is my probably um, lack of preparation or naivety about the house system. So when you say you blow up like student government, are you saying like now it's each house has their own type of student government?
2: Yes. And then the house captains, the seniors who are in charge of each house, come together as kind of the student council. So they make the school decisions each house has a spirit coordinator and a spirituality coordinator and and so they work together to do things like pep rallies with the dog pound so it's kind of evolved to be more representative whereas student government would have been 12 to 20 students um, the house system is 120 leaders Ah, so it's a minimum 120 so it's a significant difference in the opportunity for leadership
1: that's, so. I think that's great because even when I was like coaching, I kept hearing like, hey, these are house leaders, the, blah, 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 the captains, XYZ. And I was always like, so I'm like, huh, there's so many more people involved, which I think is great um, from a student participation and in how you guys build the houses. Like, from, it's every single grade and you're in a specific house because it helps kind of mentorship and all of that. Um, kind of pulling back a little bit though, since you have some, worn so many hats, I got three. Really quick questions. One, when you were actually teaching, what was your favorite year or class that you taught? Because you did sophomore, junior, junior, sophomore, junior, senior, and like we're all over the board, what was your favorite subject and why?
2: Um, probably my favorite to teach were seniors' morality. Um, morality was in sophomore year when I started here. It was when I um, did it with Barb. Yeah, and that was difficult to teach to sophomores. Um, they're still learning cause and effect. <laughs> right.
1: so, and, uh, and it was a little bit deeper conversations for a, a 15 and 16 year old to take yeah. some time. So.
2: And I love those deep conversations and I right. love that controversial conversation. Um, and so I really, I love teaching seniors morality. My favorite subject is church history, which we also taught senior year, but um, not as much fun to teach because it's... I'm the church nerd who likes church history, and there's about one percent of us. <laughs> so, um, so a little more challenging to teach, but um, but I do love church history.
1: That's great. So now, with all the other hats, non-teaching aside, so whether it's you know your current role or leading the house or doing the things that. Jim wanted you to do, what was your favorite role, and you can't use the current one that you're in since you're okay. building it out, but what, what's been your current non-teaching role, favorite?
2: Um, probably beginning the house system and working on that, and seeing that negative competition change to the houses competing against each other but cooperating at the same time. Right. Um, when they're in pep rallies, they sit in house. So getting it started was really fun. All the re- I love the research and talking to people from all over the country who are doing house systems right. and and gathering their lessons learned and gathering all that data and getting the first leaders together and that enthusiasm. So I would probably say the first year our foundation year of the house system.
1: It's interesting right because that's something Obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty. but something I probably would have really enjoyed, obviously you know me being involved and like being around a bunch of people, I thought that would have been something cool if that was around when I was at school. Um, since you've been here though for 16 years, this is the third and final question before we kind of transition off this topic, is 16 years teaching, non-teaching, now I would call you a pseudo-administrator. Um... Would you have imagined Notre Dame has gotten to the place that it's at now from when you started? And I, and I mean in a light of we have grown so much as just this net new Catholic school co-ed in the Northeast Valley to like what it is today. Like there is so much it's grown since I've even graduated. Yes and no. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think Dave Gonzalez created a really clear vision and mission for the school, um, and people who've come after him have continued that. So um, I don't know if I would have pictured it as well as we've done. Right. Um, I certainly wouldn't have pictured all the up and down of the road, um, You mean but... it doesn't go linear when
1: we, when we change? <laughs> no. It's not just a, hey, no. we're going to keep growing as we go?
2: <laughs> no, so I, I, don't, I would not have pictured that, mm. but I'm not surprised that we're so strong now we can't fit all the kids who want to come um because i've always known this is a special place so that part doesn't surprise me um i'm i'm grateful and humbled by where we are now um but i'm not terribly surprised
1: i wouldn't say i'm surprised either and we've talked about this in the past you know originally notre dame wasn't really on my radar my older sister always said you know she's going to notre dame she wanted to be there but i can personally say as soon as i stepped on campus i knew like you said there was something special about notre dame and the community and i give kudos to to you as well as a lot of the other teachers that have been here since the beginning that are still some of them are still here today as well as Davian Zalvis. it's like you could just feel and i don't want to say like tension's a bad word for it but like this great feeling that hey we are building towards something and i think you guys are doing a really good job today and i'm excited obviously this new role right with dealing with the alumni and the official title being you know assistant director of admissions and alumni i think it's a perfect position for you but you know what excites you about that position today
2: um i spent last week doing a lot of tours with prospective families um that's really, really fun for me it. Um, to talk about Notre Dame and what a good fit it would be for kids and um, and families. Whole families belong to Notre Dame, not just the kid who goes here um, that's really, really fun and I'm also they added on to the job description senior coordinator, so all the senior um, activities i'm I'm doing too, and that's really fun to try and make senior year something memorable and special um, so I'm having a lot of fun with that, but working with alumni i I could not be prouder if I would given birth to our alumni. <laughs> I, they just do such amazing things out in the world, when, you included, when they leave here. They stay involved in charities. They found charities. They found special businesses. They're building their families in incredible ways, and, um, and, and having our students on campus
1: mm-hmm.
2: see what you can be when you leave here. we need to make that connection better. And I'm really excited to do that, to get more alumni on campus, talking to our students, saying, yeah, I started here and it built me a beautiful foundation, but I chose to be who I am now from what I built here.
1: So I can speak on my behalf and a couple other people that, you know, obviously I was your student for two years, but we've, we had bonds like when I would go to the hockey games and we were probably the two JV varsity hockey biggest fans for all my four years because I just loved being involved with everything. But I can unequivocally say you made a foundational difference in my life and how we've always stayed in contact throughout the years and I could use you. And I doubt you remember me actually saying this, but it was like after my junior year when when we were done as you know, teacher-student, and you were just another teacher, and I was just another student going into senior year, it's like, Dan, just remember, I am done with the formal sense of teaching you, but I'm always going to be here. So this is where, when we talked about the role of alumni and admissions, I thought it was just such a critical role for you, because it's like, you're meeting the perspectives, and you're you're giving, not only from the beginning and, you know, the birth of their Notre Dame career potentially in their lives, it's like it is a foundational thing that you can see full cycle of us growing from you know young, naive, immature teenagers to growing up to be adults. And I just think there's probably not anyone better that embodies that. Um, thank you. You're welcome, as always. <laughs> I know, I know it's really tough for you sometimes to, for, to hear compliments. So, um, now we've talked, and I probably I'll take credit of it, calling you Mama Locke. Now a lot of the alumni do that because we see you as our on-campus mother half the time, you know, and whether it was, hey, make sure you have a belt, like reminders <laughs> about church day, or do you need help tying a tie and stuff like that. But how does that make you feel like when, when we refer to you that like that?
2: It, it, it's an acknowledgement, I guess, of, in a sense. I I believe and have believed for a long time that god created me as a nurturer that's one of the gifts god gave me um i've been that way for a really long, most of my life honestly um so and it's acknowledgement that i'm living out the gift god gave me um and and that's our job you know to live out the gift god gives you so um so it's an acknowledgement of that it's also um in a sense I want to be sure that kids understand. That's why the mama lock part is important to me because there's a sacred bond between a parent and a child and I don't ever want to supersede that bond. That's not my job. But um, I do think the world needs more nurturing and so I'm happy that God gave me that gift to share with others. So as long as it's never um, anybody feeling threatened that I'm trying to supersede the family relationship, then it never has bothered me. I find it an acknowledgement.
1: Right. and that- and I, I can say you are a nurturer. Like, my experience is probably different than a lot of people, but I, my mom went through some health things during high school, and you were a good sounding board for me, right? And again, like, you and my mom had a pretty good relationship through things, and it, it, she never felt like that. And I don't think anyone – I mean, I can't speak for every single person <laughs> in the world, but it, you had such a way to, like, hey, we're going to get through this. We're going to figure this out. And something – we talked about was finding faith right and it, and how to take sometimes a step back and like the world is crazy and things happen And you know you helped me really find faith even though when there was adversity with finding all this out like i found that the health complications when i was a sophomore like first year of your class and you probably could tell right away like i'm a very outgoing person i probably pulled back a little bit but you encouraged me it's like look we're going to figure this out we're going to get through this this is the community it's like faith family and community of the Notre Dame and you know catholic way of life and i just i'm always indebted to you on that but it's you've helped me throughout the years even when i was in college cuz i would come back obviously work out here when i was playing football at the time we always connected and talked and caught up on life and it to me it really made it easy when things were good and bad, to talk to you. So that's why I, I'm highlighting really your nurturing aspect, and it wasn't always like, oh, everything's gonna be okay. It's like, you know what, it is gonna be okay, but we need to do X, Y, Z. So for people like me, um, we've been connected. We've talked about over the last couple of years everything that's gone on outside of school with you, um, and it's been tough. You know, obviously, the love of your life, Gary, got diagnosed, and He's had his, had his health complications and unfortunately lost. We lost him and he left this earth way too early. Um, how impactful was it for you to really focus in on what you can control? I know you talked about earlier how faith has just been a cornerstone of your life. Like it, from the beginning, it hadn't been just a recent thing or just when you started. But what did you do and how did you find the faith when all of that was seemingly going wrong? Um.
2: Part of the journey, I guess, is the best way to describe it. I, my biggest hurdle, and I, as I said, I was raised in a very faith-filled family. It was always, always, always a part of my life and drove my life um, and was my purpose. Uh, that was the blessing my parents gave me. Um, but within that, we all have things we struggle with, and my biggest struggle within living my life faithfully as a disciple, has always been wanting to control things. <laughs> so um, so that's always been my struggle, is giving things to God and letting God handle them and not, not trying to continue to, to interfere with that. So that's always been my struggle. So um, when Gary was diagnosed, as you said, it was um, really, really out of the blue. He went to the emergency room for vertigo and an hour and a half later was diagnosed really with pancreatic cancer so um so my typical me would would um be pretty emotional i'm a very emotional person very um
1: emotional is not the best (laughs) i wouldn't say you're emotional because it comes off as a negative you're very passionate i am
2: i am and i cry really easily like i cry for happy things and stressful things and good things and sometimes sad things but i cry (laughs) a lot um and when the doctor came in um i just could tell by the look on his face and i just said lord it's gonna to have to be you, because I don't know what I'm gonna do. Right. Um, and, and I had peace. And that's the gift of faith. I felt peace. And I didn't have the need to control the moment. And I had the message from God. There were so many things. I, our youngest, Katie, was in Europe. Right. <laughs> you know, there were just so many things, and I just knew I had to take one thing at a time. And one of my favorite prayers has always been the Serenity Prayer. Um, but some people stop at the first verse. There's a second verse. Oh, that is. Yeah. Oh, no yeah. That is incredibly powerful. Um, everybody knows the first verse, but and I always read prayers instead, even if I have them memorized, because right. when they're memorized, sometimes it just becomes rote. Well, and that's so
1: it's always interesting with that yeah just quickly when you do Hail Marys or anything and it's it's not intentional but you're just like let's rip through this let's get this done
2: yeah so the second verse is trying one day at a time enjoying one moment at a time accepting hardship as a pathway to peace taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is not as I would have it trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Wow. So as important as the first part of that prayer is right. for me in learning to give up what I can't control, um, that second part was our mantra for the two years and four days um, that Gary fought pancreatic cancer, um, one day at a time. And then I added to that um, counting my blessings, that even in the midst of this really difficult thing, and he was very sick for two years. It wasn't like he could carry on normal life. Right. Um, it, it had metastasized to his spine, so movement was difficult for him. He played hockey goalie for 50 years, so the aches and pains he thought were because I've abused my body for 50 years. Um, but it was, it was cancer in his spine. So... Um, Movement was difficult, and and it was just we spent every day, every night before we went to sleep, we would go through a litany of our blessings in that day. Um, And I, who plan out everything, learned to spend today and not think what was going to happen in the future happen later. And my faith and the Holy Spirit is what gave me the ability to do that. Um, And it was... As difficult as it was it was probably one of the most grace-filled periods of my life
1: yeah cuz I know we talked I always checked in and I'm I'm one of those people I, I don't need long drawn-out conversations but I will just like text message everything okay good you want to talk I'm here and I always because you did that for me when I was in college because obviously my mom passed away from breast cancer after eight years of battling And I do, your point about counting your blessings, right, and finding the faith, and I think that second verse really depicts it, it's like, look, you do have to have the ability to let things go and take them as they come, but you also have to be able to sit back and reflect on um, everything that's happened great. Like, I think, I hate the word funeral. It's one of those words that just drives me nuts and because it is a celebration of life, right? You need to do it, right? obviously for coping, but it's like celebrate everything. And I think you helped me realize that too, because I had become a young professional when my mom had passed, but it's like, don't worry about the last two years, right? And I'm sure you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but felt the same way. It's like, look, we had 38 years and 36 of them were phenomenal. You have three beautiful kids and now a granddaughter and, you know, additional kids. So it's like, yes, does the last two years, unfortunately, you know, are they blips? But at overall, and and maybe that's kind of tying back to my question about Notre Dame. It's like, oh, we thought life was going to go like this and we thought the school was going to project like this, but it's actually more of a zigzag, but it, it helps you get that. And I think you centering faith around that to me is like really impactful because it's, in my eyes, it's, it's finding how faith, right? Because you can be super faithful when things are good and super faithful when things are bad. It's like making sure that it's a constant throughout your life. Um, so we're going to transition one last time because I know we talked about this a little bit earlier. So with this new role, I know there's one specific project you're really, really excited about. You know, what is that and why is it so important to you?
2: Um, two or three years ago, I think um, we built a memorial garden between the 500 and 400 buildings. So you remember it as an area that would get muddy and gross, right, When it rained. You guys rained put new
1: turf out dirt. there, right next to the Mary.
2: Absolutely beautiful. A gorgeous statue of, of Our Lady of Grace that uh, one of our families gave us, and um, and just landscaped it beautifully. And now it's just such a beautiful, peaceful area. Um, it's one of my favorite places on campus, and. Um, the wall behind our statue of Mary was always intended to be a memorial wall and we just haven't had the time or the, to focus that effort. Right. Um, so when I started working with alumni, I was asked to head up the project of getting all of the names of everyone who's been on our campus who's passed away um, on that memorial wall. So we have started that process, contacting the families, asking permission to put the names up um, and um, designed the area. Um, and now we're um, moving into the phase where we're going to start asking alumni to help us um, provide that area um, in, in memory of their classmates and teachers that have gone before them. Um, and then on November 2nd, on All Souls Day, the only day the Catholic Church should do this, um, right. we will um, have a blessing ceremony and, and unveil the wall with, with our names on it. So. I just feel really passionate about that that we always remember.
1: And when you talk about it, and I don't know if I hope that it comes out in this video of how you are so passionate about it. I mean we talked last night for probably ten minutes <laughs> strictly on that and I I never even thought of it until you brought it up and I was like, Oh man, like in the short time that we have been a school at Notre Dame and their, their impacts, every single person that will be on that wall, had on certain people. So I think it is such an amazing thing. And I'm excited to help you out in any way I can. So that's awesome, and I'm excited for that. Now, Jenny would get very mad at me if I didn't do this. So I have to ask, since they like to close up every single podcast, with this one question. So it's obviously been a pleasure, but what is something in your life that you are forever seeking... And who is a saint, or who are the saints that possess those qualities for you? Uh,
2: that's really easy. I'm always seeking holiness. You know, okay. it's, it's always about being a better disciple, a better follower, a better voice for Christ. The verse, you know, right. I have no hands, I have no feet, you know, except you. And that's our job. Um, so I'm always seeking to do that better. Um, and to be a better reflection of Christ for people. Um, And saints, I love saints and saint stories. I read all the the time on that. It's that history aspect, yeah. Um, So that's really hard for me to pin down one because it depends on the moment. Right. Um, Probably really close to my heart um, is St. Catherine Drexel who um, provided... University and education, for especially for black children in the South, she inherited millions of dollars and spent every penny of it um, with education for those who didn't get education. Um, and I just love her story. And St. Elizabeth Seton, who was widowed so very young and turned it into the Catholic school system in America, really, oh, wow. um, and, and ha- providing for all of her children. In the meantime and being really impoverished but finding a way to make it happen Um, and the saints who changed the church you know the doctors of the church who whose wisdom its saint ignatius and the people whose wisdom we just still rely on today saint augustine um that their words you read them and it's just like they're talking to me today even though it was hundreds of years ago Um, those are just all so powerful to me so it's hard to pin it down come on it's hard to pin you can't
1: you can never pin down one saint there's too many
2: yeah um
1: but i will say thank you i'm very happy that i got to do this with you today so mary lou mama lock mrs lock thank you for telling us your story and everything that you've done and how faith has been a cornerstone of that so thank you everyone for watching this video please like subscribe rate and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for watching.
0: Thank you Dan and Mary Lou for joining us for this episode of Forever Seeking. Mary Lou has asked me to add that one of the greatest blessings the Lord sent to them during Gary's illness and after his death were all the angels who loved and supported their family through this time. Those who brought meals, sent gift cards, those who visited, those who stayed with Gary to give her family and him a break, angels who prayed and sent messages of support, those at NDP who graciously allowed Mary Lou to miss school time, and those who covered her commitments so willingly and lovingly, Mary Lou and her family are humbled and grateful. I would like to encourage all of our alumni to stay connected with us at NDPSaints.org/alumni/stay-connected. Thank you again to Jessica and Dan Fisher for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. We invite you to subscribe to Notre Dame Prep on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts and watch for our next episode coming soon.